Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. The Law Report with Michael Matwening Bell, Kaya FM 95.9. A very good evening to you and welcome to The Law Report. My name is Michael Matwening Bell. It's good to be with you this Wednesday evening where once again, we talk about another topic of law and this evening we're talking about customary law, but we're talking about customary law like we've never talked about it before. So this is a show that you really want to be tuning into, but also dialing in because I'm I'm, I'm joined by good experts in the studio. Um, um, the first uh, guest that I'll be introducing in due course is uh, one that you may very well be acquainted with. She is the lecturer that we interviewed um, when we celebrated Youth Month. Uh, that's Miss um, Nicolene uh, Ngumalo, lecturer at the University of South Africa, as well as Dr. Kahiso Mapalle, who is a senior researcher and uh, an African customary law expert. So this is a show that you certainly want to be dialing in the number to dial as always is 86 0959 you can also send me a tweet i'm at motoning bill that's my twitter handle that's the law report for you tonight know your rights know the law the law report with michael motoning bill all right special thanks to dr cindy van she's back again tomorrow we continue our discussions and and i'm going to say this again as i always say it in every show Phone us now, not at five to nine when we've got five minutes left. We want to be able to deal with whatever question that you may have um, uh, and, and give you the joy that you've been helped. So this is a show for you. Do dial in the number to dial 86 Let me begin by introducing my guests, um, uh, Dr. Mapale. Thank you so much for joining us and good evening. Thank you so much for having me. And um, you now no stranger to the show. <laughs> Maria Gila. <laughs> yeah, c- quite clearly becoming one uh, very quickly. That's Mr. Miss Nicolene Ngumalo. She's a lecturer um, uh, at the University of South Africa. Uh, welcome again. Thanks, Michael. Good evening, listeners. You know, I, 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 we've on the law report, and I think the law report is probably approaching its fifth year, if my mathematics serves right. And we've spoken about customary law but never in the context that I think we're going to be exploring tonight, which, which for me is a, is a, is a, is a joy. And, and, and the first thing that you know, I want to flag is, is a concept of power, power of women in, 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 in the field of, of customary law, because we often look at it and say, oh, in, a, in celebratory terms, and, and in, some, in some respects, quite deservedly, but has the customary law in any way advanced the balance of power between man and women in South Africa? Um, I'd like to shoot first. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Ooh, that's quite a tricky question. Um, and for me, I want to just bring it a few 25 years back mm-hmm. into um, the establishment of the Constitution of South Africa. And for me, in answering that question, I would like to say yes or no. Right. And I'll get into the discussion briefly. When I say yes, I look at the constitutional safeguards with regards to the recognition of customary law. Mm. Right. So the Constitution basically is built under the principles of equality human and human dignity let's just let's just leave it there those two important ones the reason why i want to mention or stress these two principles is because that 
in, in post-constitutional judgments. Um, we've seen a lot of those judgments being based on, on, on equality and human dignity. So for me, when I look at the equality clause and I look at the Bill of Rights, it's been structurally implemented to advance the position of women with regards to customary law. Now, when I say no to your question, is a question of how successful have we been in that mandate that is highly questionable or that is highly debatable. It's a moot topic. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I do agree with you completely um, on the points that you've raised, but I think for me, the power that I've seen women having um, and being granted the power in terms of customary law has been through my research. Right. Um, I have learned so much about women and power seated on grass mats in rural communities than I have from the case law that I've read or from the textbooks that I've read. Mm. My research has shown me the untold stories of powerful women in rural communities who have shaped um, the stories of their lives, have taken the very difficult circumstances that they find themselves in on a daily basis mm. and used them to their advantage. Um, they've taken topical issues like patriarchy, and have developed their own marriage systems and ways of doing things that have left them powerful, even in the face of patriarchy. So for me, the power that I believe customary law has given to women lies in the untold stories of women in rural communities that many people don't get to hear about. And when you sit and listen to them and hear how they have navigated all those dynamics, that's when you see power, because it is not the conventional power dynamic that you would see. And what's powerful about that is that it's not about the power between them and men. It's the power that they have developed and taken for themselves outside of men being in the equation. So that's the power that I've seen there. And, and, and the power that you describe, um, is it a power that is, is known? So in other words, I'm trying to understand whether, you know, when we look at customary law, we know that there's the, uh, the, the, the act, but we also know that there's been a lot of activity around cases that have been decided over time mm. what i'm wondering is the is is this a power over and above the one that we see in these documents of course it's actually the power that is outside of the documents that we're speaking about right. a power that the recognition of customary marriages act has not even tapped on mm. a power that the provisions of the act itself does not provide for but it exists in those communities they've navigated it even outside of the legislation itself not speaking to those situations that they find themselves in they've remained powerful they've remained navigating those dynamics and they still exist up until today. I'll give you a typical example. Yeah. Um, in one of the research projects that I worked on, I, I came across a system of marriage that's called woman-to-woman marriages under customary law. And I know that when I say woman-to-woman marriages, the first thing that comes to people's minds is same-sex marriage, mm -hmm. and that's not it. Woman, the woman-to-woman marriages that I'm speaking about are marriages where I marry another woman for, pro for, for purposes of either procreation or for power. And I'm saying it's power there because those women get to keep the land in their own names. And customarily we know that women suffer when it comes to having land ownership, especially in rural communities. But through those systems of marriage, they get to decide who their sexual partners are. They get to decide who the fathers of their children are going to be. They get to decide how many people they're going to marry, who they procreate with, and they get to keep the land. Many of the women that I've interviewed in that 
specific research project got to keep the property in their own name, in their own right. They got to inherit even from their female husbands, as opposed to women who were married to men never getting to to inherit and those are the things that we get to hear about mostly because we hear of women being marginalized being um disadvantaged when they are married in terms of customary law when the husband passes on they don't get to inherit but in this particular marriage they got to inherit they got to have the power they got to decide a lot of things about their lives and their children's lives and that is the power that i'm talking about and i'm sure a lot of people when i mention women to women marriage they go huh because it's one of those untold stories that are not out there and it's one of the reasons i decided to research it because i wanted people to know that in the rural communities women are powerful they're navigating all those dynamics that put them at a advantage and they're turning them to an advantage we're having a conversation talking about customary law but this evening we're approaching it from a very completely different uh, point of view and 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 I, and I can assure you um, it's it's one of those things that will not only leave you informed but but will certainly answer many of the questions that you may have about what's our customary law but also where we should be going with our customary law I think often when we look at customary law we're looking at it as this is what used to be done and therefore um, this is what should be. But I think from my discussion with my guests tonight, you'll get a sense of where we should be and where we are potentially going to be. So as always, you can give us a call by dialing 086-00-00959 uh, and, and you can ask my, any of my guests, my guests the questions regarding any issue you may have to customer law. I'm joined in the studio by Nicolini Ngumalo. She's the uh, lecturer at UNISA and Dr. Kahiso Mapalle, a senior researcher and African customary law experts. And joining me now on the line um, is a male voice, um, uh, <laughs> Professor Dalit Ndima. Uh, Professor Ndima, good evening and thank you so much for, for joining us. Uh, good evening. I, 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 I'm quite fascinated by your take. I mean, I, they, you know, we, we've sort of explored somewhat the issue of power in the context of customary law in both in South Africa and in Africa and 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 I'm interested in, in perhaps getting your voice in so far as what your observations are in so far as the issue of power as you know the the default perception would be that power is tilted more in favor of males your take yeah, um, that is uh, not the position of uh, the African tradition. Mm. Um, a, a lot of uh, this notion that women do not have power comes from a, a, bread, a bad, bad uh, press, which comes uh, from the observation of African culture by outsiders. Mm. Outsiders, when they came upon the scene, they look at how men and women interacted with regard to matters of etiquette and respect, and they thought that those are matters of power. But traditionally, African women have always had a lot of power. When they are allowed to behave in terms of what power, I mean, what, what, what culture and tradition gave them. You will recall that uh, a lot of stories 
that uh, are available to us as well. About, for example, how Nandi nurtured Chaka, the builder of the Zulu nation. Mm. About how Matandis actually uh, led uh, various regiments of the Basutu army. About how Ndringa actually led the Angolan uh, armies against uh, the Portuguese. And about many other women, in, both in South Africa and around, who actually, in the traditional setting, acted in positions of leadership. And how that was, um, how they interacted, therefore, with their own people. Before outsiders came to tell us that women do not have power. Mm. Therefore, as far as Africans are concerned, they had a particular relationship between women and men, which was not regarded by Africans as powerlessness, except that they had a ways of interacting and um, behaving towards each other. You know, taking a historical view, um, I'm curious to know whether there's any text or any information with regard to the treatment of same-sex marriages or even same-sex intercourse. What what was you know what was the treatment of, of this? I mean, today we speak about homophobia and 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 I do hear murmurs of actually African culture was not opposed to homosexual relationships or even marriages or, or, or whatever. But but these are just murmurs. There's nothing that I've certainly heard from somebody who has taken the time to study the issue. Yeah, with regard to even men and men. Just yeah. homosexuality in whatever shape. So so whether whether it's a homosexual intercourse or even marriages or unions or or, or, or whatever just a debate yeah. about how we've looked at because i mean sometimes we talk about the constitution and the constitution seems to be the first savior uh to the plight of homosexual persons and and one wonders whether this is at all a new phenomenon i i um uh, and and insofar as African thought, African treatment. Have we have we got any information of how homosexuality was perceived within the context of customary law? Yeah. Um, the first things like homosexuality um, are, are, are terms that came later. Mm. <laughs> There was always a relationship between woman and woman. They even women could even marry yeah. women. To, for the purposes not of sex, because this thing of sexuality, homosexuality, is something that does not seem to be original in the African context. I don't know. Maybe it may be because of lack of literature or information. But what we have as a fact is that without sexual uh, or connotation. Mm. Women married other women for the sake of uh, perpetuity of rights, preservation of rights, and uh, all other things, mm. um, which uh, they could, for example, if a woman has got property and assets, mm. and 
and the shea is becoming old, and the shea has got the normal male as to take over. Mm. Then there are customs where she would uh, uh, marry another woman and get somebody, uh, a male relative, to cohabit with her so for the protection of children. The main purpose being to produce children to carry on those rights and assets. Yeah, it was never about sex between them as women. Mm. Um, we don't have a lot of information about sex between them as women. As much as we do not have much uh, information about sex between men and men. But this thing about women marrying other women for the purposes of conservation of rights, we do have in African custom. I want to, I, I want to just, you know, just test this because, because. Hello. Yeah, no, no. I'm just turning my attention to to uh, Dr. Mapale now, and and yeah. and 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 I, and I want to put the same question to you, Dr. Mapale, which is, when one looks at the general scheme of of African culture and indeed its laws, there is a a great degree of tolerance in it and acceptance and you know one one does get a sense you know when even when we talk about ubuntu Mm -hmm. and and you get then on the issue of homosexuality and 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 i know that you know we we there is the issue of homosexuality and then the issue the distinction that you quite correctly made and 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 also um uh, professor ndima but for now i'm interested in homosexuality what was if at all it is known, mm-hmm. our treatment and, and, and views of, of homosexuality? Um, I think the first question that we need to ask um, while getting to a response to that is, did homosexuality exist in black African rural communities? The answer is yes. Yeah. Um, is it researched enough for us to have a proper narrative and context of how it has been dealt with and what the issues were there? No. Mm. I'll give one example of what I came across. In, in, in the research that I did on women to men marriages that Professor Ndima just um, correctly alluded to right now is that I came across an aspect of the marriage where a woman who is a traditional healer mm-hmm. would marry other women. Um, Specifically because the spirit that mm. she had within her was male and therefore she was not allowed in the explanation that I was given yes. to have sexual intercourse with a man. And of course then that brings in the issues of homosexuality there to say, is it because the spirit that is within her is male, therefore she cannot have sexual intercourse with yes, a man? Yes, that's often the explanation. The explanation yes. is, it goes lami in dot. Yes, yeah. so uh, then she is only allowed to, to get married to women mm. and, and then she would have um, multiple wives mm. um, and the explanation that was given was that it was lamb in daughter so mm. a, I, cannot, I cannot have sexual intercourse with a man mm. and it would have spiritual um, ramifications for her. I, and, and I could see how the traditional healer can slip in easily the idea of marrying other women and that could be readily accepted because we do also respect what Amazozi dictate. Of course. Um, and, and that seems to me like an easy example. But when we come back, I just want another example now and, 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 and you know, of, of the same scenario where one can't claim, and I, and I use that advisedly, that there's a dictation by Ilos. Mm-hmm. We'll continue this when we come back. Know your rights. Know the law. The Law Report with Michael Matuening-Bill. 
Welcome back to The Law Report. I'm joined um, on the line by Professor Darlene Dima. He's with the College of Law at UNISA. Uh, Dr. Kahiso Mapale, Senior Researcher and African Customary Law Expert. And finally, uh, Ms. Nicolene Ngumalo, she's the um, lecturer at the University of South Africa. And we haven't talked about customary law, but like I said, it, it, it is really um, looking a lot more deeper. And if you wish to ask any of my guests or questions, as always, you can give us a call by dialing uh, 086-00-00959. Um, before we took a break, um, uh, Dr. Mapalu, we, we were still exploring this issue, and, and, and I put it to you that, you know, I, I quite understand how a female Sangoma can say, mm-hmm. I can get that, but mm-hmm. outside the context of traditional healing or Sangoma or spiritual healer, outside of that context, mm. which, and, 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 and I'm asking this because I know that we we tend to respect traditional healers mm. and whatever is said by to buliwek twaganje you respect it mm-hmm. of course and and i don't imagine that a non-traditional healer might have had the same ease in introducing a topic of marrying marrying mm-hmm. other another women or other women mm. i think the ease would then come in to effect if they were they were introducing the topic or the, the the prospect of marrying other women if it had links to the issue of perpetuation of the lineage mm. the protection of the family property mm. um, there being a need for the family home to be revived if for lack of a better word yeah. um, for some yes uh, an aspect of this marriage is called mm-hmm. meaning that if somebody a male person within a family set up either died without an heir or died without having gotten married to somebody and thereby and therefore not having had children um the sister or the aunt is allowed in terms of customary law to marry a woman in that person's name and then have children so in outside the context of a person being a traditional leader have they a traditional healer sorry have they been allowed to introduce the prospect of marrying another woman in the pro, in, in in the setup of homosexuality i have not come across that it's one of the things that i endeavor to to research on because i find that the narrative around that is very limited you don't you don't get of to course. to get a lot of information a lot of literature on that and it's partly because you, 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 of course, understand that it's a sensitive topic. It's, it's one of those topics that you find it very difficult to sit down with elders and have a conversation about, mm. either because of the trauma that's linked to it, um, the people who might have gone through very difficult situations and don't want to have a conversation about it, or because, you know, in customary law, there's a thing called taboo. Right? Mm. So a lot of people shy away from it. But I believe that it's a conversation that needs to be had because yeah. I have found that homosexuality did exist and does still exist in rural communities. So it's a worthy topic to explore so that as we, in the 25 years of our democracy, navigate whether our constitution has had a real impact on the lives of ordinary people, we can only check that if we see it applying and those conversations being had, especially in rural communities. Ms. Nomala, you wanted to come in? Yes, definitely. Uh, She touched on something that I'd like to elaborate on. Um, And basically, when you speak of plural marriages in the customary law setup, you find that the traditional practice was to keep it in secret. Um, I've, I've come across that in my research where, for example, topics of where there's 
a party that or the husband has passed away and then therefore um the younger brother takes exactly over. Mm. so that setup was already a very hush hush um, sort of conversation that's had by the elders of, 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 of the family. And I'd imagine that a subject of homosexuality would also be something that would either be sworn to secrecy mm. or would operate uh, behind the scenes where, you know, the lay person might not even be aware that it's currently operating. But mm. isn't it true that even just heterosexual sex was not spoken of i mean of course m- many of us don't think our grandparents had sex of course they didn't look like <laughs> <laughs> there's that small matter <laughs> let's take a call and 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 and, and perhaps you know uh, i just want to allow uh, the calls to come in but but one thing that still lingers that i haven't dealt with is is something that we touched on and that's just non-sexual based women to women marriages and why they happen and 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 more curiously is how they happen because that's 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 a story within itself uh, elise or ellis from west Rand, hello um hi michael how are you fine and yourself i'm very well thank you um you're speaking to elise marshall Brian, eh? um i just like to comment on that marriage status that you are talking about um the main thing i am married in a fraudulent marriage now since 2006. Um, so I remember last time I asked for on air in um, Aaron. And then we were speaking to the minister of of his um, um, speaker. Yes. Um, actually, I'm in a fraudulent marriage since 2006. And um, the main thing is that, for instance, um, I'm still battling, I'm still fighting the government with this problem. And, and they only have one person. That's and fine. That's fine. Time. I get it. I get it. So we had a chat about this, yes. I think, last week or the week before, where we had the Department of Home Affairs, and, and they they described what is a very simple process of, of, of helping you. And they, you know, um, I think th- there was a, a concession even by the, by the minister through a spokesperson that this is an issue that they've left for long, for long and they wish to address. So what I'll do... Is I'm going to take you back to Thomas. Thomas will share with you the details of the guest that we had. I know what they did undertake to do with us. They said that um, anybody who called them, um, they would personally uh, take some steps to help them. So, so I think we'll, we'll, we'll take you back to Thomas and see, see um, if we can give you those numbers. And, and, of course, if you don't come right, you can just let us know um, because there was some undertaking. Back to what I wanted to deal with, Professor Ndema, is is the dynamics of same, it's not same, woman to woman, that's how you describe it, woman to woman marriages that were not leaning towards sex. So sort of, it seems like there were marriages for other considerations that you uh, and, and Dr. Mapala described as for property, et cetera, et cetera. How does this happen? So what, you know, how does this play out? Just for somebody who is listening and and just can't fathom why two people would marry if it's not for sex and companionship. And Professor Ndema? Hello? Yeah. Did you get that? Hello? Yeah. Um, yeah, we've, uh, we've talked about uh, women to woman marriages. Yes, but I think I'm more interested in the dynamics of it. So... 
why would why would Lindy were marry uh, Samantha? Uh, and 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 how what would the dynamics be if if it's not homosexual in nature? So yeah, yeah. as I said earlier, yeah, those are culturally based. They are traditionally known. Mm. Uh, you recall that uh, the woman was marrying another mm. is normally uh, quite older than the one who's being married. Right. Mm. Therefore, they are not related with regard to age. Mm. Um, she would be marrying the younger woman in order to match her with a a younger male relative of hers for the procreation of woman. There was never any connotation of sex between the two women themselves. Right. And then and then, yeah, and then, and then the interest yeah. then is this. So the woman, the, in, in your example, the older woman marries the younger woman and then perhaps invites another male relative to procreate with, with the young woman. Yeah. And who would raise the kid, the baby that results from that? Who would? Raise the child that results from from that consummation. Uh, yeah, the older woman. And if there is an estate here, all that is needed is an heir to be raised. Yes. Therefore, there is adequate resources. The older woman will tell you the other one has got adequate resources for doing that. The, the new woman who's being uh, um, recruited yeah, was going to be well looked after and including her children. The, the man who's going to be uh, recruited has nothing to do with those children. All that is needed from him is sick. Right. So, 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 then, so then the child then grows up in that context of essentially two mothers so does the child does a child grow up in the context of two mothers so so for example surrogacy we understand how surrogacy works in the western context you give me a baby and you take off yeah um but i'm trying to understand in the context of customary law does the child then have two parents i mean two mothers because I, I, you were clear that the father, the, the father comes, does his thing, and off he goes. Now there are two mothers. Perhaps let me let me assist there to say that um, it's two mothers because both their genders are female. Mm. But in terms of customary law, the one who pays the bride price is known as the female husband, right. and will be the sociological. Um, father to these children hence even though the the person who then provides the sperm is the biological father the children do not belong to him because um, a child belongs to whoever pays the yes, bride price yes. so um the children will have two female figures in the home because both women will be uh, are actually actually female but the the female husband the one who married their mother is actually their father they will be using that woman's surname and she will be their sociological father okay another interesting point because one then gets you know this is then what i'm trying to imagine in my mind the women would also probably take two types one that was previously married and one that had never been married so 
Mm-hmm. Well, it it, it depends. Um, mm-hmm. they, 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 in, in some communities, there mm-hmm. is a preference for women who um, were previously married and are there for bringing children into mm-hmm. into the marriage. And those children are then adopted customarily and they belong to the woman who pays their mother's bride price. Yeah. They get to change their surname. Um, they get to, to respond to the totem of, of their um, mother's female husband's family. Um, they also sometimes in some situations get to be given new names, right? Um, and sometimes the preference in specific communities for women who had previously been married and who are coming into the marriage with children is the confirmation of, yes. of, of um, but again, fertility. Hmm. To say this woman will then be able to have more children because we have confirmed that this exactly. person can have children. Yes. So in the instance where a woman is coming into the marriage without having had children, it's a bit problematic because one of the main reasons for the conclusion of such marriages is for procreation mm-hmm. so they have not tested that you are actually able to have the children is it relevant that the donor father so the one that just mm-hmm. comes strictly for the purpose of procreation mm-hmm. is related to the to the woman that pays for the cows as it were well in or, the, or can it just be like uh, that guy i'll tell you the practicalities of it um in 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 the perfect setup it will be a relative. Yeah. I've done research on woman-to-woman marriages in Bulobedu, Queen yeah. Mujaji. Mm-hmm. Um, I've spoken to her wives. Um, and what I've, what I've picked up in Bulobedu, in Raskukune, in Muleji, in Rampatele, is that in a perfect setup, it will be a relative of the female husband who will procreate with the wife. Mm-hmm. But because power is, is a very tricky thing it's slippery you may dictate that it will be michael who will father children with kahiso but in the true and actual sense it's going to be a different person and with that comes a lot of spiritual issues when it comes to the children because then their biology also then dictates the spiritual aspects that need to be attended to in their lives Mm. so sometimes it works out that it will be a relative of the female husband but most times in the actual practical sense it is not let's go to the lines and talk to basil hello Hi, how are you, Michael? Fine, thank you, Basil. How are you? I'm fine. Um, I know this has got nothing to do with your topic, but it does have a little to do with marriage. Mm. Um, I know the law uh, vows on uh, in my head, and I just want to know on WhatsApp and Facebook if I recite those vows to other men because I'm a gay guy um, or write them out. <clears throat> on Facebook or WhatsApp, is it law or is and uh, have a ceremony there? Sorry, I, I completely missed your question. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> my question is, if I write out the um, vows, you know, for like a white wedding, you know, like... Yeah. I have women in here and take stones so mm-hmm. my lawful wedded wife and mm-hmm. so on. But I'm a gay guy, so I've proposed to quite a few guys on WhatsApp and Facebook and I've written out those vows. Now, do I have to, am I legally married on WhatsApp and Facebook or do I have to go to Home Affairs and uh, have a ceremony there? Yeah, I, I think that you... Uh, you you absolutely wouldn't be married because you need the other guy to say yes I do but but you can't just do it you know between yourselves you, it needs to be in front of um, you know it's legislated to say that it either needs to be home affairs or in front of a marriage officer 
or whatever the case might be. I mean, if if we could all do it on WhatsApp, Basil, I promise you, <laughs> there'll be <laughs> no, be there'll be no single yeah, ladies. We, Beyonce we'll would have be nothing married. to sing about. Debato from Kempton Park. Hello. Hi. How you doing, Michael? Fine, thanks. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Um, my question is a bit layered. Mm. I am a mother of a, an infant, mm-hmm. and I am not married to the father of the baby. Yeah. Um, he does not live in South Africa. He's not a South African. However, we are sort of in dispute regarding the baby's surname. Mm-hmm. And customarily, I had informed him that he cannot just want to change the child's surname without following customary processes, mm. according to my culture. Mm. And what I'd like to find out is, is there a legal basis for him to sort of supersede um, my customary right to have my child be recognized in terms of, you know, the customary processes and um, we are not in a relationship. Mm-hmm. We are not married. We were never married. Mm-hmm. So we just have a child together. All right. Out of interest, where has, is he from? Yes. He's a Motwana. Okay. Um, you want to take that, Ms. Kumar? Yeah, I'll take it. Um, yeah. so, so it's a really a question, and, a, and I think it's an important one because um, it talks about rights of, n- f- n- f- of fathers Mm-hmm. of children born outside of wedlock of course okay just briefly for me or as far as my understanding the rights of a father culturally begin from what we call imbeleko right um and firstly we speak of damages when there's a child that is born outside of wedlock mm. so that's the first form of acknowledgement mm. um towards the the females family Mm. to say here am i i've wronged you because i've um sort of conceived a child with your daughter Mm. outside of marriage so that process of damages is important because for us zulus for example if you have not gone through that process of, of of paying for damages then you do not have any cultural rights to even have the child be in your surname. So, mm. so how can we reward you by giving the child your surname? So, in fact, there's even a saying in Zulu City, which means that a child that is born out of wedlock belongs to the maternal family. Hence, that child will grow up with that surname unless either the damages are paid or the parents get married. Mm. Um, and in terms of the Western sense, acknowledgement of, of paternity and paternal rights would begin from the process at home affairs when you sign a birth certificate for the child. If both members or if both parties or parents have signed as parents, then that, that, that's where we start. Because if, even with issues of, 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 of paying maintenance, that's exactly where sort of the judge or the magistrates would begin. Yeah, but, but I mean, in, in, in this case, um, you know, a father of a child born out of wedlock, you can't, can you demand um, that your child assumes your surname? No, no. you can't. So, so th- there you go, Debata, you're home and dry. 
Um, so the 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 father does not have, uh, as explained, any rights in terms of cultural law or customary law, but certainly no rights as well in terms of civil law. So I, I it, it would Correct. require your but consent. So so yes. so depending on how you want to play it at civil law, you you can consent um, yourself, but at customary law. You'd need your you, family you to can't, consent. Yes, you yeah. definitely need your yeah, family to consent. And the permission. payment of damages, etc. So, are you helped? I, I am helped, but there's also an. He, he mentions that he's not because he lives in another country, not his home country, mm-hmm. and he tells me he's not able to. He cannot um, have certain um, benefits, financial um, investments, things like that, in that country because. The child is not in his surname. They would, it would take. It would be a long process. Yeah, that's what that's what men used to say in the eighties. I don't think that flies today. The Law Report with Michael Matwening Bell, Kaya FM ninety five dot nine. Sixteen minutes before nine o'clock, I'm in conversation with Nikolini Ngumalo, lecturer at the University of South Africa, Dr. Kahiso Mapalle. Um, she's a uh, customary law expert. And finally, uh, Professor Dal Ndima, College of um, Law at uh, University of South Africa. We talk about customary law and the issue of land is big in South Africa in a different context. Of course, our context is land ownership by women. And I, and, and, and I know um, you alluded earlier on when we were talking about marriages for the purpose of protecting property. And, and, and that's one thing, but I, 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 I don't know personally, and I'm, I'm, I'm not at all suggesting that my experience is very vast, of, of, of many instances where women, um, uh, and, 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 and of course, barring for a moment the constitutional developments, because mm-hmm. I, there is a constitutional case that says, you know, women can, can inherit no differently from, from, yes. from men. Yes. But, you know, you, you mentioned and all of these things are not like, you know, except for the one, which, which is Queen Mjaji, for example. But these are royalties. But talk about non-royal families where, you know, and then suddenly the men are gone. And, you know, are there a lot of experiences or encounters where women's rights insofar as property are protected? And, and, and I think as you answer that, I'd like to invite you all to maybe also engage in, in, in the answer on women who come into the family by virtue of marriage, not those that are born into that family. Mm-hmm. Because I think that, that, that those are the two groups of women mm-hmm. um, right. that right. would be affected by the issue of land. And perhaps let me start with you, Prof, um, your take on this question. Um, you're relating to specifically to land. Yeah. 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 Um, um, we must be careful here because uh, there are issues of the rights, whether they can own land, mm-hmm. which is yes. Mm. And there are those issues uh, arising from the, the the cultural situation, whether they were regarded as people who could own land. Maybe women in the past were people in their uh, original homes who were regarded as uh, not permanent. They were in transit mm-hmm. towards their marital <laughs> homes. 
As people like that, they were not treated equally like men. Mm-hmm. The rights related to was going to inherit the land was always their brothers. Mm-hmm. They were always going towards their marital homes upon the time when they do get married. Um, and then generally then they were regarded as people who were not going to be considered for the purposes of allocation of land. And then when they got to the marital homes again, um, they married to uh, men there who are in line to inherit land and stuff like that. And again, as newcomers, they were not going to get priority there. As a result of them, they were disadvantaged both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, while that was happening culturally, uh, according to the expectations of the people, but there was no law preventing them from getting land when land was due to them. But then again, land would never be due to them. I, 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 given your example. Hello? Given your example. Hello? Yes. Hello? Okay, we got a bad line. Um, you, you, your take on the issue, and, and, and I just, you know, sort of see a difficulty in, in the proposition by, by Professor Ndema to say that, you know, when they, on the one hand, they were in transit, mm-hmm. and on the other hand, oh, we, and then, um, then the, the, the statement that says, um, land is due to you, and and in what context would it be due to you if you didn't buy it? In other words, through marriage or through through your own lineage. You see, I think picking up from what Prof. Dima was 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 talking about, it's that historically women and and I'm a bit reluctant to say historically because I've in recent times found um, even after the advent of democracy and the existence of the constitution that there are still women who are not inheriting land. Yeah. And I'm saying this because what what the constitution provides um, and what is then ascertained in our courts through case law and the judgments that are given that women are supposed to inherit equally as men and mm-hmm. so forth, is that in practice when it gets to be translated on the ground, firstly, people don't even know in 2019, surprisingly, um, the provisions of the constitution and what it means to them, mm-hmm. what impact it's supposed to have on their lives. They don't know the places that they're supposed to go to to enforce those rights. So there may be land that is due to them, mm-hmm. but because of the systems that are in place, you find that women are not able to inherit the land because they, they find themselves in, between a rock and a hard place. Firstly, we know that women in their in their is it paternal homes or family homes mm-hmm. where they are born into mm-hmm. that family? They are considered to not be permanent members of that of that family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There is always that expectation that you are going to leave and go mm-hmm. to a specific person's family, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then again, the expectation is that you would inherit on the other hand. But on the other hand, there are male members of your husband's family who are in line to of inherit. Course. So you are not ever going to inherit in, in one way or the other. Mm-hmm. One of the other issues is that when a woman gets married, there's the entire transfer of her person and um, her property to her husband's family. So one of the one of the 
research projects that I worked on about women and land and ownership is that the explanations that the traditional leaders would tell me is that should they give you Escariso, let's say there's X farm mm-hmm. um, in Pretoria and it's, it's, it's been transferred from the generations, man, right? Man, yeah. um, and now I get married to, to you. Mm-hmm. Everything about me gets transferred to you. So your, my family gets to lose that property. It is no longer ours. It was one of the challenges. Yeah. Um, if you, I mean, you I mean might, it, is, it is certainly one of the challenges. Because if, you know, you, you could just sort of see how it, it runs. So you, 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 got, you got married, Hamapalle. Mr. Mapalle dies. Mm-hmm. And then enter Mr. Bill. And you die, then it's it's completely lost from. But it, it, even your maternal family and and the Mapales, wouldn't it? Would it? Would it not be mine? Yes, because then depending on our marriage system, also that we get Fair married enough. into. Fair enough. But I mean, let's let's work on the default one because we know that it, it, the system that prevented you as a woman mm-hmm. from inheriting mm-hmm. always preserved the land. In favor of the blood relatives, yes, of, of the and, and the male blood relatives, it always preserves, and that's why, you know, when you go to certain areas, you don't describe them in terms of streets. You just say Guabanban, and mm-hmm. and everybody knows yeah. that piece of land belongs to this group of mm-hmm. of you know this family. Correct. But w- 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 with the recognition of women's rights, which is certainly and undoubtedly a good. A necessary thing mm-hmm. comes that that shift then to say that it, it will stop at a point becoming hamapalle if you as a woman inherit and 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 how then does the future look correct and and also um just before you come in to say that it's it's the same argument that is then linked to the issue of chief tainship. yeah uh, positions of traditional leadership to say yes women are now in terms of the constitution and the Shilubana case mm. um, um, entitled to inherit positions of traditional leadership mm-hmm. but now in the event when they do get married what happens there so the question of land ownership by women is not just one that deals with land ownership Indeed. It, it, it deals with issues of traditional leadership it deals with every entitlement every right that they have to any specific thing, but then linked also to the systems of marriage and the expectations on women and marriage and what happens to them and their personhood when marriage takes place. So unless those systems are overalled, unless an understanding of what needs to happen when a marriage takes place in terms of a woman and her property and her personhood are then looked into carefully, then what you find is that the constitution may have prescribed um, certain things to happen, the constitution may prescribe it, but in practice, in reality, on the ground, there is this big gap between the two and unless that gap is closed then we're going to find a situation where women's rights are not then put into effect and into practice but uh, when 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 we say this and uh, if I, I do see your call uh, Noko, but but professor Ndima, when we say this and 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 if we accept what uh, dr mapalle is saying are we then still and 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 i put this question really from a point of wanting to know as opposed to putting forward a position are we are we not actually diluting the distinction between customary law and civil law? Because we know that a Western man marries, dies, and it moves on to the wife and, and so on, and, and so it goes. Mm-hmm. And, and the wife can marry further, and so on. And it, it's happened, and they've, they've been comfortable to live with that consequence and that result. And, and when we then talk about 
customary law, we've always understood it as it remaining within the, fa- the, the, the one family, the one family. And when we then recognize, as we should, um, the rights of women who get married into a family to inherit from their spouses fully, what then is the distinction between customary law and civil law? Is there still a distinction, except for the cows and the and the gumboti? Is there still a distinction in 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 effect and in practice? Yeah, it is not necessary that there should be a, a, a distinction. Mm. Um, the, the the constitution is an overriding power. Um, if it says no, no distinction with regard to entitlements and rights, mm. because the constitution came with all this idea of rights, and it does not allow anybody to be deprived of anything I, i'm of sorry to come in legend. i'm sorry to come in uh, prof I, I'm, I do so only because i've run out of time but i want to probe this one question we we are all sold on the constitution we it is the supreme law of the country so that the debate is not intended to to challenge its supremacy uh, and because even if i, I did challenges without 75 percent of the parliament votes the challenge is 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 just a waste of time the proposition is, are we not paying lip service to, to customary law when customary law, through its influence by the Constitution, resembles more and more civil law, which that's what I'm putting. And, and if we then agree, um, without sort of getting into debate about the Constitution and its supremacy, should we not in changing these laws, then policy be directed at sort of preserving this custom, the good of it. There must be some good. That's that's really the essence of the proposition. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 no, I also agree with you. I get I get what you are saying, but uh, in many times uh, the constitution has come in to override. Um, um, to actually um, remove certain positions that we thought uh, they were the main differences between customer law and other systems. Um, like this thing that is happening in traditional leadership. Yeah. yeah. It was never going to be as available as it is now to women. It is this uh, constitution which has come to say that there's no distinction between the two. What the Constitution has come to do is to actually uh, in agreeing with you. Yeah, got you. Quickly. Quickly, I'll, I'll say two things. Yeah. Uh, to respond to your question, um, is there a distinct difference between customary law and civil law? Absolutely, yes. Absolutely, yes? Absolutely, Except yes. the ceremony and the... It's the actual system itself, customary law as a system, it's mm-hmm. the ideologies, it's the practices, it's the fact that in terms of customary law, we don't have nuclear families. Um, and also in terms of the rights and responsibilities, even of heirs to take care of the elderly and the, and the, the children yeah. so that they continue having a home. Yeah. But I'll say this in terms of the, the dilution of customary law. Mm. The recognition of Customary Marriages Act is a clear example of how civil law has had a great impact and influence on the content and provisions of African customary law because if it did not then the RCMA would be covering all 
types of customary marriages in South Africa, women-to-women marriages included, as well as customary law adoption of children, which up until today, the Children's Act does not deal with. And the Constitution says that the rights of the children are of paramount importance and the best interests of the child are supposed to be taken very seriously. Mm-hmm. But if women and children in rural communities, the very same women and children that the Constitution of South Africa is meant to protect, if the RCMA and the Children's Act in its provisions does not adequately provide for them, then what does that tell you? Noko from Florida, hello. How are you, my brother? Fine, and yourself, my brother? Very well. No, um, because of time, I just wanted to, no question, but just to commend your panelists. Yeah, um, well enriching program today, as always. But uh, I want to thank them because um, they, they were my professors and lecturers in the past semester. Or <laughs> And because it was made to be compulsory, uh, I had no choice but to love it. And and because if it was uh, elected, I was not going to to elect that module. So it is now my plea after seeing the importance of of, of that this this very subject mm. from customary law and advanced customary law that since the, there's now this revamp of the LLB, I, I pray that. Though all the universities in South Africa can make this um, module a compulsory module. Indeed. Because indeed. of in this um, constitutional democracy that we are in now. Indeed. Thank you so much. I think that is a very good note to leave it at. Noko, thank you so much for your call. Let me thank my guest, Professor Dalin Dima. Thank you very much, Prof, for joining us. Thank you. And uh, to, to my two guests in the studio, uh, uh, Ms. Ngamala, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, thank you. Thank you to the listeners as well. And finally, uh, Dr. Mapale, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, and uh, as always, to the Afropolitan, uh, thank you for lending us your ears. I look forward to being with you again on Wednesday. From me, Michael Mutoning Bill, good night. Rewinding. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Visit kayafm.co.za for more.